The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. In his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. One other important note, Steve's conversation today with Ross Dennis was recorded before Ross retired from MechEd in April of 2023. Enjoy. All right, I'm Steve Dunn. I'm joined today by Ross Dennis. Ross, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. You are the president and CEO of MechEd, a nonprofit dedicated to ensuring access to opportunity for all children. I'm curious about your own early education and how those experiences informed what has become a long career in education. Sure. Well, I mean, two stories come to mind. One, when I was in seventh grade, I was talking too much. And the teacher said, well, you're going to have to do a thousand-word composition. Give it to me tomorrow on why you shouldn't talk so much in class. And I didn't do it. And the next day, he asked for the composition. I quickly drew a stick figure on a piece of paper with an X through its mouth. Gave it to him. And he said, what's this? I go, well, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. <laughs> and he smiled. And I said, he said, all right, go sit down. I thought, you know, there's something to this. I don't exactly know what I did, but something about being creative and a little bit, a little bit off, you know. Well, this is in seventh grade. Seventh grade. And you, you kind of got away with it. Yeah. You're you're rewarded in in your own mind. This Uh this was how to win. Right. Uh And, uh, well, that's, that must've been quite a, um, a turning point for you in terms of your approach to all of life. Sure. Sure. Well, then fast forward to high school, and listen, I skipped my English class 63 times in my senior year. It wasn't because I was off campus doing something wrong. I was actually two doors up in an empty classroom reading my own curriculum. I didn't think much of his. I was reading, you know, Ferlinghetti and and Ken Kesey and Jack Kerouac, sort of the beat poets, Ginsburg. And interestingly enough, my guidance counselor, this was very influential to me. He had directed me toward vocational education. And out of high school, I was a brick mason. Not even, not a brick mason. I was actually a, a brick, I was shoveling concrete, for God's sakes. And I remember one day, very distinctly thinking, I think he might have made a mistake. And I started going back to school at night. And, of course, you get ribbed about that on a construction site. Like, yo, professor, more concrete over here. <laughs> so I take it you were not shoveling concrete in the south. No, several concrete in the north. Where are you from? From New Jersey, Philadelphia originally, born there, and then raised in New Jersey. So you're working during the day. You're going to school uh-huh. at night. The construction workers are giving you a hard time about it, but you're doing it because it's what you want to do, yes. right? Different yes. from some of the educational experiences it sounds like you probably had before. You're driven by your own motivation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm. I'm curious. Both of these stories that you're telling are about um, 
going against the grain a yep. little bit. And yep. then in, and yet somehow things turn around and all of a sudden you're firmly part of the establishment, right? You've had a long career as a teacher, a principal, yep. a university dean. You're now the president and CEO of an education nonprofit. You're you're the man now. How, how did that I happen? I don't know about being the man, but I've always always have been a reform-minded educator, and I was always the person who wasn't afraid to do things. I've, I've detracted high-performing school districts, got rid of ability grouping, for example. I've you know, created the first multi-age, non-graded primary program in the state of New Jersey. So a lot of innovative things, the founding president of the Principal Center for the Garden State. And of course, you know, the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, where I was fortunate enough to be a program director for 10 years and supporting innovative, creative, imaginative educational ideas around the country. All right. So, well, that explains it then, mm-hmm. that you've, you're one who, it sounds like, who believes in experimentation and innovation with respect to education. How do you bring that type of energy to the programs that MEC Ed? Sure. Is? Well, when you think about it, Steve, you know, the, the education system we currently have has been around for a century, and we're just tweaking it. You know, in some cases, 45% of the young people in county colleges are dual enrolled in high school and county college. So there's something about this Carnegie unit that you have to amass a certain number of them before you can move on to the next level. When in fact, if we were just proficiency based and say like high school doesn't need to be four years, it could be three or six, depends on how much you master and then move on from there. So there's something about the way it's established that has made it very difficult for us to change For example, even coming out of the pandemic, we say, we can't wait to go back to the way it was. Like, go back to the way it was. It was so inequitable, for God's sakes. Perhaps there are some ways to have AP physics in five or six different schools with two or three kids in each school that are interested, but you could do it remotely if you do it well. So there are so many things that that need to be changed. And the biggest thing from my perspective is the fact that schools, frankly, the best thing they do is to sort. They sort children, and we begin that process very young. Like you go here, you get remediated. You go here, you get enriched. And over time, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. As part of what you are doing today, mm-hmm. uh, you're intersecting a lot with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system, yes. right? Yes, And Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system is a large school system. This, it's a kind of a sprawling school system. It's the way our schools are organized here. It's a, it's a larger system than you see in other right. parts of the country. 18th largest in the country. Well, there you have it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I wonder how, how in an organization like that are you able to cultivate uh, concepts of innovation and, and facilitate a, and a, a rich learning environment mm-hmm. for the free spirits of the world, the younger yeah, versions of right. Ross Dennis out there in the world. Well, you know, the, the young people we focus on are those who are marginalized. And, you know, we're in four Title I high schools, and we have full-time staff members in high schools here in Mecklenburg County. And the young people we focus on are all living below the poverty level. They're all, and in addition to either being in foster care or aging out, pregnant or parenting, adjudicated, skills deficient, those are our kids. We love them to death. We would do anything for them. They know that we have them. We're family to them. And we serve 160 of those kids a year because we're Charlotte Works, in-school youth provider. Thank God for them. They're the best partners on the planet. And we provide internships, paid internships for these young people. We teach them social skills. We'll buy them career clothing. We'll provide transportation back and forth to their to their internships. 
we can stay with them up to two years after high school to make sure that they're in a good place, either a certification program or off to college. We'll even decorate their dorm rooms. So, so it's, it's in addition to serving perhaps 500 students at each of these four high schools, in addition to the smaller number with college fairs and, and career fairs, et cetera, we, our intensive services are the things that can transform lives of, for young people who might otherwise be just off the record. I mean, it's one thing to say you're a high-performing, under-resourced young person. Great. Lots of programs for you. But for young people who have just been disenfranchised, have a sense of hopelessness in many cases, getting them a driver's ed class and getting them a driver's license. You know, I, I jokingly say, but it's ser- I'm serious about it. The key to economic mobility is mobility. Yeah, that's absolutely right. right. Yep, that's one of the first things that a lot of employers want to know is whether you have reliable transportation. Exactly. Yeah, and so and in this nexus between education and employment is one of the things that is it's a focus of our world and our society. It's something that you've spoken about already just now, mm-hmm. and that we think about a lot. But it's also not the sum total of the purpose of education. And I've heard you speak about Mm. the value of education in and of itself. Meanwhile, at the same time, we've got, you've got through MECED, this wonderful program, Career Pathways, which is specifically about, would you say workforce development? Is that a good way to describe it? You know, we, we say workforce development to our funders, and that's true. But internally, we talk about human development. It's much bigger than workforce development. In many cases, we have to and, you know, we find that light inside of a young person and kind of build on that. And we th- we've recently gone upstream, and we now have a middle school, after-school program in Hidden Valley at Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School that focuses on young people who many of them are living in the hotels around that area because we think you have to start younger. You know, in middle school, that's when young people are saying, like, who do I want to be in this world? Not what do I want to do, but who do I want to be? And then by the time they get to high school, you know, that's when we grab them and say, let's, let's talk about your future. Let's see. And we want, frankly, to get beyond things like nothing wrong with this. CNAs, dental assistants, cosmetology, that's all fine and good. But in many cases, our young people don't know that there are other options beyond that. And that's what we try to introduce them to. Well, what what are other options are, are types of things that you think folks are overlooking that can be incredibly not not just remunerative but also fulfilling? Yeah, for God's sakes, accounting, graphic design. You know, you go to Duke Energy. There are hundreds of positions that people don't even think exist. You know, people scouting for solar fields that could be used for solar energy, et cetera. Or at Atrium Health, there's positions in you know carpentry and. At the airport, we just took a group of kids to the airport. There are there are so many jobs available at the airport that they have their own fire department, for God's sakes, where they're well-paying, you know, high-performing jobs that just don't, that take some certification. That's great, but you can have a great life as a result of this. It strikes me that fulfillment often results from finding a good fit or a good match. Mm-hmm. You're a musician yourself, or you have been anyway, have been. and as you know, people tend to gravitate towards certain instruments. Some people's personality mm-hmm. is well suited for a particular instrument. And if you can if you can match up the person with the thing that they're passionate about, then this ultimately it sounds like the what we're really talking about is a well-lived life. Yes. 
And, and, and is that, I mean, is that as you see it sort of ultimately the point of education yes. and work? Yes. It's not, you know, you might have heard me say this before, but I don't believe that education is vocational in that, you know, people talk about going to college. Oh, well, you spend all this money going to college and what, what kind of a job are you going to get when you go out? Well, maybe you're a better citizen. Maybe you're a more educated human being. Maybe you're more interesting to have a conversation with or you have the references that are deeper or connected to certain th- Anyway, it's much bigger than just a job, college for God's sakes, and the books you read and the way you live the rest of your life. My grandfather was a you know third grade dropout who was one of the most educated people I've ever met, built his own home, et cetera. So I don't, I don't, I think you can go to school and be schooled and I think you can be educated. They're two different things. You have this pretty highly developed view of the point of it all, it sounds like. I wonder how your personal history informs that in the sense of, I, you know, I wonder if there are some twists and turns in your own life that you considered dead ends or wrong turns that you learned from in a way that led you to the place now. I mean, you seem, mm-hmm. you seem very fulfilled, like Damn. very philosophical about, about what you're doing. And I wonder if that if has this always been the case for you? Have you just had this seamless path through life, or no. did you have to learn some things the hard way? Well, I I can say that the, my very first day in the classroom as a high school teacher, next to the birth of my children and marrying my wife, not in that order, was one of the greatest days of my life. I felt as though I had come home. I believe that there was a life of the mind there. I loved every aspect of it. It, it mattered very little that I was making $10,200 a year. I, I thought it was the best thing on the planet. And, you know, I was, I was threw myself into it, and I burnt out in my fourth year just because I was trying to do everything, being a senior class advisor, doing this and that, and, and ended up with a rotary fellowship to India. And in 1983, spent quite a bit of time in Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal. Now, when you say Rotary, is this the Rotary Club? The Rotary Club, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have an exchange program. They would take young professionals and do an exchange. And I didn't know it was going to be to India, you know, the year before it was in Brazil. That was a bit of a life-changing experience because I came back to an American classroom and just having spent, you know, quite a bit of time in dirt-floored huts with kids who were arguing over who's going to get the book that they can study from back to like Druidash jeans and nobody really cared. And so I quit. I just quit. I took a year off and it was a beach bum until I realized, you know, I, I needed to go back, but I needed to go back on my own terms. Where were you a beach bum? Seaside Heights, New Jersey. All right. And, yeah. and then what came next and how did you figure out yeah. what it would be? I spent a year and then I went back to teaching at, at Central Regional Middle School and Ultimately, went back for my master's degree at Georgian Court College and then went to, to the Academy for the Advancement of Teaching and Management, where I had a chance to teach teachers pedagogy and get feedback and just opened up a whole new world. The Academy opened up an entire world to me. And, that, and then from there, it was just director of curriculum instruction, principal. And, you know, I made a lot of noise as a, as a principal. You know, when you, when you detrack meaning that you get rid of ability grouping. Okay, so you were a principal when you did that? Yeah. And what you're talking about is this concept in the schools where kids are basically sorted mm-hmm. into categories according mm-hmm. to their perceived competences right. or abilities. And so right. the, the smart kids go in, into one track yeah. and the other kids go into a different track. And it sounds like as a principal of a school, you had the opportunity to change that or do away with it entirely. Is that yeah, right? yeah. And that, that was caused quite a ruckus, you know, because... 
if you're the, the the parents of the gifted and talented, I, I sometimes disparagingly call them the Volvo vigilantes. But they, you know, they don't. Do you know that we have some of those in Charlotte? <laughs> really? Are you <laughs> really? But the thing is, you know, who says who's smart, right? There's so many different ways to be smart. I think the bell curve is is an accident of history. That there are multiple ways to be smart. But beyond that, and I'll, I'll just take take a risk here. You know, several years ago here in Charlotte, I was part of a group that was talking about the economic, you know, economic mobility and what can we do to fix this. And I was in a group there among others, and I was to report out on what we came up with in our group to, to address this issue. I stood up, looked around the room, and it hit me that everyone in this room created the structural inequities that they've been asked to, to change and they continue to benefit from them. Why are we talking to them? Why don't we talk to the people who really, really are on the other end of this and ask like, what can we do to help? And that was the last time I participated, frankly, in that organization. Well, a lot of it seems like it has to do with how we measure capability and how we conceive of capability, Mm -hmm. right? So if Mm -hmm. you're lumping together gifted students and separating them from students who supposedly are not gifted. It really just depends on what we think gifted is or or what we consider someone to be gifted at, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so as a principal in that school, when you're trying to subvert that system, what what were your thoughts? And was the idea then rather to be totally egalitarian and just throw everyone together and work on the same project of education altogether? Oh, listen, there are ways to do this. And you could have heterogeneously grouped kids, right? that break out into subgroups after lunch to do math where you're working on fractions, you're working on ratios, but then you come back together for, for other, other activities. It, I think there are opportunities to blend so that you can direct instruction to the needs of the child without having to sort them into groups that says, you're, you're not going to succeed. We're going to, you're going to give, we're going to give you mind numbing, word swallowing, cognitive anesthesia, and remediate you while you get to do simulations and put on plays and take trips, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, it's just a, a minor variation on the theme of the old, like the way that the Soviet Union used to be described it, to us, right? Where they would decide when you were four years old, if yeah. you were going to be a sailor. Mm-hmm, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right. it is, there's, there's so much to talk about here. So much that's really beyond the scope of what we're you and I are doing today, but fortunately, you have a podcast of your own, which is the it's let's reinvent let's, education. Let's reinvent school. Let's, ah, I yeah, almost yeah, had right, it. Right. I, I got it just wrong. Okay, oh, let's the, reinvent school. school the education. podcast that focuses on what's positive, not just what's negative in our schools. Like how do we how do we build on what's working? And there are a lot of things that are working. What I what I we are at MechEd focused on those young people who need us the most. And we're there to transform their lives, put them on a path to a bright future, and, and to remove all of those obstacles. And those obstacles are are serious, man. They're not they're not like oh, you know, it's a food. Yeah, yeah like having <laughs> enough to eat, like being yeah. having a heat heat in your home. Yeah. Or or let's say you have internet at home, but you're working remotely. It's not a safe place for you. And so how do we find safe places for young people to learn? Or how do we how do we combat this idea that if a young person decides to get educated and to to do well when they're in a family that's going like oh look at you who do you think you are trying to trying to break out of this you know and so sometimes there's so many overwhelming obstacles that keep young people in this spot we're we're removing all of them systematically day by day 
What about lunch? Every time I read an article about lunch yeah. debt, it yeah. it sends me into a rage, and right. I, I literally want to fly around the country to all these places and just yeah. write the check. It is. It seems insane to me. Yeah. That yeah, we yeah. don't feed children and uh, and send them into debt and shame them. Yes. Uh, well, you know, you hit. Boy, that's, that's interesting. You would you would bring that up because I think you know I I pride myself as a leader who never who's inflappable. You know, I don't I don't lose my cool. But one time I recall losing my cool was in a cafeteria where a woman had denied a young person a lunch, and uh, because he didn't have his ticket, and I I just remember yelling like everybody eats. Everybody eats. And let's, I mean, let's talk about the food they're eating. Oh, that's a whole other You know, thing. that's a whole other story, like a type A lunch, government lunch, you know. So you wonder why after lunch, kids have their heads down on desks because they're carved out and they're sugared out. And so, you know, not just we should be feeding them, but we should be feeding them healthy food. Yeah. Well, how do you do it? What do we do? I mean, there's, there's, that's, MECAD is not involved in nutrition stuff, is it? Well, we feed our kids every day. Ah. We, you know, our middle school kids, they, they come to middle school, we feed them dinner and snacks. And this is part of the, uh, the after school program. The after school what, program. What's the name of that? Well, it's Safe Charlotte. It's a grant through the city of Charlotte and the United Way to focus on, you know, corridors of opportunity. And that's what, we're, that's the work that we're doing over there in, in Hidden Valley. But we also feed our kids when they come to programs. We, we, you know, we have a mentoring program. It's gotten to the point where they go, I go, what do you want to eat? They go, Chick-fil-A. I'm like, no, 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 no. What else do you want to eat? Well, you ask what they want. And they go like, well, let's do Caribbean food. I'm like, okay. Let... But we're focused on already owned local restaurateurs and businesses as opposed to big chains because we think if you're going to invest the money, like you could, you could do both, you know, and teach them nutrition. Well, here we are in Charlotte and you are, we're talking because you've been honored by the Charlotte Ledger's 40 over 40 award and you've been in Charlotte now for about seven years. Yeah, about seven so. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to know as a, as a relative newcomer, someone who, who didn't grow up here, what, what are your observations about this city sort of from the outside looking in? Well, I, first thing I learned was that when somebody says "bless your heart," they don't actually mean "bless your heart." Yeah, that Sometimes takes that takes a little. Most people figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. That was not number one. And then number two, I realized that you know anyone from the north, I do. I'm very sensitive to to listening to people, to embracing ideas, and I, the last thing I want to be is that person, that out of town fireman that comes in and puts the last flames out and claims you know credit. So I'm, I want to be part of this community and have worked hard to develop relationships and to listen and to carefully collaborate with people sincerely and not just, you know, to, for impact or for effect. And I've, I've, I'm really pleased at the number of relationships and collaborative partnerships we've developed. Care Ring, you know, Charlotte Works, Sisters of Mercy, the Equitable Finance. You know, these are, these are wonderful entities that have really been supportive of, of MECED and Career Pathways. Well, you've had a long career, uh, mm-hmm. much of it in education. You're certainly not done yet, but nope. you've been around long enough to have learned some things. Mm-hmm. And you seem like a reflective type of guy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, as you look back over your life and over your career, what words of wisdom you have for younger people who are following along in your footsteps about some things either to focus on in a sort of positive way or, or maybe some mistakes to avoid making. Yeah. Uh, follow your dreams. If a young person comes to us and says, I want to dance, well, we're, we're going to find you a dance internship. There's, you know, there's, 
there's so many ways, as we said earlier, to be smart. And we want to make sure that young people know that there are, there are, there's a life ahead. Even if what they're doing is, I'm going to tell you a quick story. It was late for a conference in San Francisco. I was the keynote. And uh, I got trapped in traffic. And I, as I reached up to this toll booth, I saw that the man in the toll booth was dancing. And he was, had a boom box and he was taking money and he would do a spin and he would make change. And I'm from New Jersey. I crawl up there and now I'm like, what's going on? Why can't we move faster? And he hits his button on the boombox. He says, listen, buddy, all my life I always wanted to be a dancer. The way I figured it, I could have two choices. I either give up my dream or I dance in my effing toll booth. And I thought, well, that might be the most profound thing I've ever heard. So, you know, there are lots of ways to fill your dreams. Even if you're dancing, just keep dancing in your toll booth. Dancing in the toll booth. Maybe that's a, a title of a, a book or uh, something right? at some point. Right. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Ross, it's a great pleasure meeting you today. I appreciate it so much your Thanks, spending Steve. time with me. And congratulations on the, on the great honor yeah. of being named to the Charlotte's 40 over 40. Listen, I look forward to uh, you know being part of 60 over 60. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> well, that's the problem. The, the problem with the 40 over 40 is that there's, as, as Tony right. Messia likes to put it, your eligibility doesn't expire until right. you, <laughs> you do. <expire>. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Thanks, it's wonderful Steve. to meet you. Same here. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about The Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 Over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen